Good morning. My name's Kent. It's good to be with you today. What a beautiful service. Colton, congratulations. Congratulations to mom and dad. And to our, our pastor, Reverend Walls, thank you very much for allowing me the privilege of speaking to this wonderful group today. Uh, I was thinking about today and how uh, people have changed our lives, like George Washington, of course. Uh, I remember a story about a little boy who, who was about 12 years old, decided he was going to go out and, and, uh, with his friends to the movie. And he went to his dad and he said, Dad, I want to go see the movies. And his dad looked around and said, no, son, you can't go to the movies. And the son said, well, why not? He said, you see this, this five acres here? It needs to be mowed. He said, if you can mow this entire property, you can go to the movies. So, of course, the son immediately takes out the mower and starts mowing as fast as he can. Comes back from the movies and is very excited. And his father looks at him and says, now... George, I want to ask you a question. Did you knock over that outhouse as you were mowing the lawn? He says, before you tell me that story, let me tell you about a little boy named George, George Washington. When he was about your age, he chopped down the cherry tree. And his father asked him, son, did you chop down that cherry tree? He said, yes, son, I did. So at that, he took his, he, he said, now, son, I want to ask you that question. Now, did you knock down the outhouse? And they said, the son said, son, dad, I cannot tell you a lie. I did knock down the outhouse. To which the son was taken to the woodshed and given three licks. And he said, dad, why did you do that? He said, because George was not in the cherry tree. George's father was not in the cherry tree. Can't believe that one a little bit. <laughs> George's father was not in the cherry tree. You know, nations come into conflict all the time, and our founding fathers knew that was going to happen. There's always going to be differences of opinions, and I'm going I'm to ask you to just uh, withhold a little judgment from me as I attempt to have a little Scottish dilt. Okay? The question is, how should we do things? And the answer, of course, is every Scotsman should wear kilts on Thursday. Every Scotsman should wear kilts on Thursday. Or, to say it more bluntly, every true Scotsman should wear kilts on Thursday. You've got to do it right. It's, it's kind of like saying... Every church member should be at church worshiping God on Sunday. But only true church members should be at church worshiping God on Sunday. True. We throw those little words in there to make a statement, to make it stronger. And that's exactly what's happening in our scripture today. Jesus has sent ahead messengers to proclaim the news to the Samaritans. And the problem with the Samaritans is this. They believe that Mount Gerizim is a place that you should worship. And of course, a good Jewish person believes that Jerusalem is a place. So only true Christians go to Mount Gerizim. Only true 
Christians go to Jerusalem? You see the conflict. It's already there. And the truth of the matter is, conflict is a natural part of who we are. It's a natural part of being. As a matter of fact, in the Holy Land, you can see that in concrete ways. As you're walking through that Holy Land, you will notice that there are earthquakes. There will be about five earthquakes every ten days in that land. Why? Because of the tectonic plates that are pushing up against that land from the Asian tectonic plate, the European tectonic plate, the African rift. All these are pushing together, making Mount Hermon taller and the Dead Sea lower. Even today, it continues to push. Conflict is a natural part of that particular life. As a matter of fact, when you're driving down the highways, you can see limestone that is twisted, and it, some of it is white, and that which is under pressure has been changed to the color pink. Pressure, conflict, causes changes in our bodies and in our systems. It causes us to, to renegotiate and think, what am I doing? The way of Elijah in chapter 2 of Kings 18, we can read about it later if you wish, there is a, a conflict. Elijah is facing the Baal priests. He's called a contest. He says, we're going to have a contest today, and I want all the Baal priests to show up, and we're going to see which God is greater, the God of Yahweh or the God of Baal. Of course, Baal, you know, is the the, the uh, bull, the golden bull. You guys remember that from TV, maybe? I don't know. Anyway, this golden bull is going to save Israel, right? So uh, they pray, the Baal worshipers, the priests get together, 450 of them, they work real hard, and they work all night, and nothing happens. So then Elijah's turn. He comes up there, puts a bunch of water over the, the pit with the animal that's been slaughtered, and and, and calls heaven, the fire from heaven, and bam, it's all consumed, gone. Who wins? Elijah. The way of Elijah is power. It is fire. It's smoke. It's destruction. But the way of Jesus is different. The way of Jesus, when his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, the Samaritans don't want you in their town. You're not welcome. You ever felt like you were not welcome? I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I feel angry. Ooh, my goodness gracious. I just want to get really pissy at people. But then Jesus doesn't do that. He does something very odd. Remember this, parents. Jesus teaches in four very specific ways. The first one is through silence. So you remember the disciples are walking along the road and are asking the question, who's the greatest? And, and Jesus is silent. He doesn't say anything. Sometimes when you're a parent, you have to let kids work out their own stuff. Right? Just let them argue it out. They'll figure out the path. But sometimes they need a little help. And they have to have number two techniques of Jesus. The question. The question is this. 
Who do you say that I am, Jesus says. Peter, you know, everybody answers, and then Peter finally says, Christ. So Jesus uses silence. He uses questions. And then he uses stories and parables to explain things in more elaborate ways. And then finally, he uses this last technique, rebuke. It's held very, very close to his heart, used random, or very rarely. You remember Peter at the Transfiguration? He rebuked Peter. And now, again, in this particular scripture passage, Jesus rebukes James and John, the sons of thunder. <laughs> Yeah, they're pretty loud guys. The sons of thunder. Because they want to call down fire on the, on the Samaritans for what they did to Jesus. Man, that is unfair. Let's just send some fire down, shall we? Y'all ever feel that way? Have you ever felt like, I just want to get rid of somebody? We have differences. Democrats, Republicans. We even sometimes feel as though we should only go this way or threaten that person. But that's not the way of Jesus Christ. That's not the way we should be in the world as disciples of Jesus Christ. This sermon continues today it's helping me to deal with the way I should deal with differences. How am I going to act when I discover that people are different from me? Am I going to, am I going to destroy them in my disagreements with my words? Every true Scotsman wears kilts on Thursday. Right? What we're discovering is that a true reading of the scriptures means that we understand that God allows grace to withhold judgment so that those seeds that have been sown can grow in good, fertile soil. Right? We know that scripture. John Wesley, uh, the founder of the Methodist Church, came and he didn't come to change the world for having more converts. He came to change the world through making disciples of Jesus Christ. There's a difference between convert and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a deductive approach, if you will. You take this worship service, the words that are being spoken, and they come down into a very practical drop. When we come together, we are disciplined, according John, to John Wesley, through small groups, through bands, through classes that challenge the way we think, the way we process things. It can't be done by yourself. You could probably try to do that. 
But the problem is that I have faults that I can't see. I don't know. Sometimes they're from somewhere beyond my reasons or my abilities to see. And so I need help. We need a faith community who will help us to challenge us to read our scriptures, to understand the word in deeper ways, to go and visit the sick, the hungry, the people in our community that need our insight. Maybe we need their insight. That's where we're at, aren't we, Herb? We're trying to figure out what the community needs. I know many of us are trying to figure that out. What are the needs? Let me tell you, some of the needs are very stressful. There are things that we have to remember if we're going to be effective as Christians. At the very end of our scripture text, we're beginning to look at the immediacy of the gospel, the importance of the gospel for our world today. Our emotions sometimes get bent from grief, from hardship, from people that just push and push and push. But the demons of resistance don't have to stop you in your path. It it means that you're going the right direction. It means that you you need to change the way in which you are functioning. This particular scripture passage talks about a man who is faced with wanting to say goodbye to his family. And Jesus turns it and he says, we have, let me get this exactly right. Yeah, look at this Bible. I tell you what, you can't go very far without it. As we're going along the road, a man said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to, to hang his head. Sounds like Jesus is homeless, doesn't it? Almost. There's something about making it to the city of Jerusalem that's so important. Jerusalem means the city of peace. Salem. We say salam, shalom to people when we're greeting them. That means I give you my peace. When Dr. Fleming was in, out in the uh, barrios in the, the tribal area, he was asked to come into a tent to share bread. And when he was there, he said the word salam, I give to you, or shalom. And when he said those words, they invited him to the table and sat down. But when they discovered that he was from, came from another tent, from another Bedouin tribe, they were upset. They said, give us back your peace. And it sounds, sounds really good, doesn't it? People will ask you to take back your peace. You have peace to give to other people. Give it. It is a reality. It is like a coin. It is valuable. It is of great importance. Okay? You leave today and hear nothing else. That is very important. The other thing that Jesus says is this. As they're going along the road, he said, a man came to him and said, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, I already read that. Hmm, 
The mo- another man said, I will follow you. But Jesus said, the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, I know everybody has had a grief, and this particular scripture passage has been very difficult to understand sometimes. But if you look back at the previous chapter of Luke chapter 9, 8, you'll see a, a story about the Gergesene demoniac, a man who's out of his mind. He's living in the cemetery. He's, he's uh, beyond civilization. He is isolated. He is depressed. He's mentally ill. And Jesus is taking his disciples across from the familiar side of the, of the Lake of Galilee to the unfamiliar side of the Lake of Galilee. He's taking them to a place where they're frightened, they're scared. There's been a storm out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They've been thinking they're going to die. And Jesus says, peace, be still. Salam, shalom, peace, peace, be still. And it's there that they meet the Gergesene demoniac after that storm, after the grief of Jesus' brother or, or cousin, John the Baptist, Jesus and his disciples have been grieving, but they have to move through their grief. They have to go to that other side. And when they're on that other side, Jesus is able to touch that person. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to go through our fear We have to move through our grief, no matter how difficult it has been. We have to break sometimes those ties to our family. No, you have to break the ties to your family. Because you have a new tie, a new family, the family of God. Difficult to hear. But if you're going to change your brainwave, if you're going to change your behavior, If you're going to change from the path of destruction, John Wesley said, are you ready to flee from the wrath to come? Are you ready to flee from the wrath to come? If you are, then join Jesus on the path to Jerusalem. Be ready. This path will be difficult. It will be trying. You'll have to learn new things. Don't try to do it alone. Go with a group of people that you trust. Go with the people that will build up your faith and give you what you need. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to move away from my grief and I just want to hold on just a little bit longer because I get sympathy from other people and I get attention, but I can't dwell on the past as though I could change the past. The reality is that I cannot change the past. Forgive me for trying to be God. I'm a creature that you have created. You are the creator. And I live in this bountiful land at your good pleasure. I repent of my bent for destruction and death. Free me from my unhealthy relationships. I want to move out of the sadness of loss and go where great joy moves me to give away all that I have for the sake of the kingdom. 
a place so vast and all-encompassing that no thing, no person, no concept or no thought can separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. My world is way too small. I am willingly moving away from my judgmental attitudes to find joy in the present moment that you, O oh God, are giving me right now. Amen.